Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. So I hid a lot because I wanted to spare my mom, you know, the disappointment that I was not ending up the model daughter that she wanted. And I felt like it would be easier for her to believe the lie that I was mostly that person. And then in the process of making this movie and then recognizing that I only have so many years with my mom left and I want them to be honest, and I don't want to be a liar for the rest of my life. She came out to L.A., and I invited her over because it was also for her in the sense that I wanted her to, wanted to let her in on my life and not compartmentalize these parts, which I've done for so long. That was Minhal Beg. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Talk Easy. If this is the first time you're listening, uh, I want to say welcome, and uh, if you're someone who's been listening intermittently, consistently over the past three years, welcome back. We've somehow made it to the unofficial season three uh, premiere of the show. I want to say at the top, before we move forward, thank you to the people on this show that make it possible week after week who made it possible in 2016, 2017, 2018, and now, uh, hopefully, throughout 2019. Dylan Peck, 
Ian Jones, David Chen, uh, Valerie Ettenhofer for a long, long time, Elliot Weintraub, Krishna Shenoy, and uh, there are many more out there that I could not have done this without. I think that also includes uh, the people who have been listening to this show since we started in April of 2016. Whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you uh, truly for being there uh, when we started and being here today. You know, no one who works on this thing is doing it because of money. (laughs) It's a podcast. We don't have uh, sponsors that you hear at the top and the middle and the end of the show. We're doing it now again in 2019 because I think ultimately the kind of conversation I want to have is one I just don't hear in other podcasts. This is not a show exclusively where I talk with artists. This is not a show exclusively about uh, form or craft. This is not a gossip show. It is, uh, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Much to the chagrin of potential investors of the show, a podcast that is uncategorizable. And um, I think those who have listened to this show know what the hell I'm talking about. And for those who are listening for the first time, I hope today's episode with Minhal Beg is a good example of the kind of conversation I want to have. I want you to listen to uh, this episode and any episode of the show. And by the end, really have a better understanding of who this person is and how they operate in the world. That sounds so vague, but I promise what actually happens in conversation is anything but. So um, with all that being said, thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to the show. And really, thank you for supporting it. Our first guest of the year is um, Manhal. She is, I would say, as hardworking as they come uh, in Hollywood. She's a story editor on BoJack Horseman, uh, a writer on the forthcoming A24 show, Raimi, and, above all, a talented director. Her sophomore film, called Hala, premiered this past week at the Sundance Film Festival to rave reviews. In fact, Apple promptly acquired the project, and uh, it will find some form of distribution later this year. The film is deeply autobiographical in nature, as it tells the story of a Muslim teenager in Chicago coping with the unraveling of her family as she comes into her own. Benhal wrote and directed the film. Uh, it is shot by the very lovely and uh, talented Carolina Costa. It is truly one of the highlights of the festival that I saw this year. And uh, over the course of the next hour, Manhal and I get into the heart of the movie and really all the parallels within the film and her own upbringing in Chicago. This film is really beyond a passion project. In many ways, it's fragments of Manhal's life. In the interest of full disclosure, uh, I have known Manhal for uh, almost a year now, I think. And... I don't like having people on that I, I kind of know. I, I like the sort of anxiety of two strangers being in a room. But as has happened in the past, 
the moment we started talking on microphone, I realized, oh, God, I actually don't know a lot of very basic facts about this person. So uh, I hope you enjoy this first episode of the year. Uh, we have a bunch of conversations coming up next, uh, including ones with Dulé Hill, Keith David, Britt Marling, Alex Ross Perry, uh, Tyresha Poe, a lot of other people. If there's someone that you think would be uh, an exceptionally good fit for the show, I want to open this up this year. Uh, feel free to drop us a line at talkeasypot at gmail.com and uh, tell me about someone you think would be uh, an interesting guest for the show. I really can't promise that they'll say yes, but uh, I will promise to hear you out. So, finally, without further ado, Minhal Beg. Watching the film yesterday and then talking to you after, I, I have been thinking about it um, last night and this morning. I want to know, just to get into it, in looking at your film here, how much of this teenager reflects you at that time growing up? I think it's, I mean, I feel like I've talked a little bit about how much, if you know, how personal it is. Um, it is a fictional story, you know, it's, it's not like a one-to-one -one thing, but there are parts of me in Hala, but also the other characters. Like, I think, I think what is, there's the details that are really, really close to my real life, like the way the family interacts inside of their own home mm -hmm. is there's moments lifted verbatim from my life. Like what? There is the scene where... Um, Hala is doing the crossword with her father at mm -hmm. the table. Um, my dad and I used to do this, the back. The back page of the Tribune had a section for the spelling bee. So, and he was always preparing me for the spelling bee. So he would ask me words, and I would be spelling them out. And my mom would get upset because she thought I was going to get late to school because we got so wrapped up in it. And it was every, you know, it was every other morning we were doing this. It was. A very important time in the day to like spend with my my mom and my dad. Do you remember what you were kind of like at that age? Yeah, I was insufferable. <laughs> I and now I have been. I mean, I'm still insufferable, <laughs> but I'm a bit more self-aware of it. When I was when I was 18, I think I had pretty big blinders on. You know, there's serious tunnel vision that happens when you're a teenager. Teenager, but I like specifically remember that I didn't, didn't spend so much time thinking about my parents and where they came from. They were just, you know, extensions of myself. And then, you know, I was, as I was getting older, I was realizing, like, I didn't really know that much about them from, you know, before they were in America and before I was born. And that was kind of strange because you would think that if you live with people mm -hmm. for, if, if you're their child, that you would... Were you, not, were you not curious or was it a don't ask, like we, we don't want to talk about it kind of thing? I think it's a dynamic in the house that's very much reflected in the movie, which is that we were not, it wasn't very easy to talk about those types of things in mm -hmm. my house. It, it was, it was really difficult to get them 
to share those stories from the old country. Mm -hmm. Like for my mom, I think it was, you know, she grew up in, in, in poverty and she didn't really want to talk about that. And then for my dad, it was, you know, he felt like, well, we moved to America. So why do I have to talk about that time? That's not important. Like that was the history that he was trying to erase or forget about, Mm -hmm. I think. And not like in a, you know, deliberate like malicious way it just like didn't occur to him why it would be important they both wanted to move on i think so yeah and i i understand it actually but as i was getting you know going away to college and i was realizing like i don't know that much about them and that was also just a reflection of how little i you know sort of the little follow-up i'd done they weren't very forthcoming, but I was also, you know, wrapped up in a lot of other teenage drama mm-hmm. uh, myself. And I, yeah, that, that's why I was so insufferable. Well, so 18 year old you, were you like jostling with them in the same way the character does? Yeah. I mean, that scene in the car with Hala and her mother, there are things that Aram says that, that, that she says in the movie, but especially in that scene that my mom has said to me they're incredible it's incredibly harsh and (laughs) i mean very brutal but that's just how she would talk to me like we were very you know she could take you down with a few words Mm. um and i think that she really felt like you know my siblings and i were not grateful for what we had and the opportunities that we had here and how much they provided for us that we didn't have to think about the necessity, you know, the, just the basic day to day, you know, living. Were you grateful? Um, not, at, not when I was like 17, but I think when I went away to college, I started to feel like a jerk about how <laughs> I treated my parents because they didn't deserve it. And I think that I was so focused on these goals in my head that felt so important at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and they weren't, I mean, obviously that's just like, this is now this is the benefit of like hindsight, you know, hindsight, like, oh, yeah, that was just not a good use of my time. And uh, thinking about now, like just the petty uh, teenage drama that like was the backdrop of that period, like that of, everyone has it. But I feel like my parents were also in addition to wrestling with like, I'm just a teenager and I'm starting to do stuff that they don't approve of. Mm. They're also dealing with like me moving away from home and that was a pretty significant fight in my household like that is like very much you know sort of the real life story that kind of led me to write the script was that moment in time where I was like leaving Chicago and it was a big fight between my parents it's the first real fight that I sort of even saw them having what was the conversation around it well the conversation was I applied to college in secret out of state and my because I that was always pretty you know if I could see how that goes bad yeah so they you know my mom wanted me to stay in Chicago and go to Northwestern that was like 10 or 15 minutes away from my house she wanted me to commute from home Mm. and then I really didn't want to do that I was so ready to go away it's a good school yeah, it, it, I got in and I was really happy and I got into the Medill School of Journalism. I mm. thought I was going to be a journalist. Yeah, um, thank God you didn't do that. Um, I, they were so happy about that career path. I mean, it was incredible. Of course. Um, 
and then I, but you know, I sort of like consulted folks and I was like, I don't want to stay, I don't want to live at home while I'm in college. So I applied to college in secret, like didn't tell my, didn't tell my mom or my dad and then just waited it out until April 1st, as you know, and heard back from Yale. And then I told my dad and he was like proud of me, but he also was just, he was probably afraid of the conversation you guys were about to have. Yeah. He was just, let's wait a little bit to tell your mom. So we waited a whole summer. We didn't tell her I was leaving until a few, like, I think it was like a week before I left. Oh. Yeah. That's pretty... Because I didn't want to... not judging you. Yeah, but I didn't want to ruin her. We really talked about it. We talked about when would be the best time. And if we told her right when I got in, I think she would have... She would have, it would have been really difficult to like enjoy that time with my family before mm. I left for school. So when you tell her a week before you're leaving, what does she say? She felt incredibly betrayed and that I was, I was not the person she knew. And she was very upset at my dad for being complicit um, in hiding things. Because he was helping me get ready to go to school. Mm-hmm. Like, he was hiding dorm stuff in the back that, of his That car. makes it worse, for he, sure. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. And um, she was very, very beside herself. Because, I think it's also because in my family, unmarried women don't leave the house. They move from living with their parents to getting married and then moving into their husband's homes. Mm-hmm. That is just the tr- traditional. And that's all my mom knew. So... The idea of me moving out was terrifying. I've, I've actually wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. Um, growing up and then going off to college, because you do end up going yeah. to Yale, right? Is that yeah. what happens? Um, did they try to enforce their belief system on you when it came to, like, relationships? Yeah. I mean, those conversations that, you know, Hala has with her dad in the car, those were those were things that were always circulating around me and I was very aware of it. I didn't even realize there were other options really to marriage inside of my family because everyone in my family has been married, you know, has had an arranged marriage and has married, an, you know, another Muslim. And so it didn't, it was never presented as there was an alternative to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't talk so much about relationships because we don't have relationships. We just get married. Right. So, <laughs> no, we didn't talk very much about that. There was never a, I want to try this kind no, of thing. No, I, I hid everything. Yeah. I was an incredible liar. I, I one time That's I... It's so hard for me to believe. You're, you're so forthright and honest. Now I am. But... You were good at lying. I was... I had to. It was out of necessity. Like... I remember one time I told my parents I had a luncheon. I don't I don't I don't think they even even understood what that was. But that was just me sneaking out to go to prom. And then I had this I had a friend, a male friend who <laughs> I then would just use his sister's name and saved his sister, you know, his phone as his sister's name on my phone and I would get rides from him to like go places, but I even remember for a group project, I couldn't bring any, I couldn't bring any of the male members of that group to, over to my house. So we had to meet at a library. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it was things like that where I, st I just had to start lying because it was, it was every time I would tell the truth, it would just get me into trouble you know, too much. Yeah. Did ha having to constantly lie create a sort of sense of anxiety around the house for you? I mean, yeah. Like I remember, <laughs> I think we got really good. I mean, my siblings and I got really good at lying about movies that we'd seen. Uh -huh. So we would like, there was a fun aspect of coming home after like not actually having seen a movie and having to describe what the movie was to my dad right. and like knowing that there would be a very slim chance that he would know that we're lying. But occasionally he would, he would find the, you know, the lie. And there was also always the, the plot description wasn't thorough enough. Well, because the, the whole scenario was unbelievable, you know, like a movie is not four and a half hours long. So, Oh my God. Yeah. You should have just been like, I kept rewatching Lawrence of Arabia exactly. over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> I should have said that. Um, he, I think my, but I also will say that at the time I thought they didn't know anything, but I, in retrospect, I do think they knew a little bit more than I give them credit for. Like, I think they were in denial a little bit and there was only so much they could do. Um, you go off to college. They have to accept that. Yeah. Um, What's going on for you in your time at college? It was so amazing. I like. <laughs> I like the smile you have on your face. Now. Yeah, it was so amazing. It, I I have such fond memories of college. I came onto campus, and I I remember walking in and thinking, "Oh, this is my sanctuary for like the next four years, and I have to protect it and cherish every moment because then I have to go out into the real world and mm -hmm. like deal with that." But also, like, have to deal with the realities of, you know, the other cultural obligations that I was putting on hold to go to, you know, go to school. I think currently, of all the people I know making movies, you are someone who, has, who is as disciplined and hardworking as I know. And well, I was, thank you. I was wondering, is this true? It's just you're, like, focused and there's a concentration you have that I think is uh, enviable. And I was wondering, like, did you have that when you were in your early 20s at college? Yeah, I would say I'm lazy compared to how I was then. I mean, I'm, <laughs> of course. I, was, I was a work, I was obsessed with school, but also I had just incredible, like, time management and all that good stuff. And You were, like, on it. Yeah, and I also took that time at college, like, I never took anything for granted because I knew there was only so much time I had here. And... So I did all the reading, like did all the, did everything. And then somebody told me once, one of my, one of my like peers in my like freshman year English class just said like, you don't do all the reading, do you? And I was like, of course I do all the reading. Why would, why would we have the reading? Why They assigned the reading for a reason. Mm -hmm. And she just was like, no, nobody read, does all the reading. And you did. I did all the reading. Yeah, I was an insane person you're making everyone listening to this right now feel <laughs> really insecure about the lack of reading you did in college <laughs> but also like my college experience was tempered by like i i didn't drink you mm -hmm. know for religious reasons and and you still don't i st well now i came back to it i've i've stopped drinking because i the last year and a half and in, in the process of making this movie it's been a negotiation about my own faith and like how I relate to it and for me drinking was one of those aspects of not drinking was actually a really important one for me mm. and it's uh I was really grateful that I went through college having 
had this like very different experience because I did very drink. different than pretty much everyone. I mean, it was amazing. Do you ever think about the like alternative the alternate realities that everyone else has had in college? Most people generally kind of fucked up <laughs> a lot of the time. I I still fucked up, but I was I just wasn't drinking at the time when I did it. Oh. So. <laughs> oh wait, so you had no excuse actually. Yeah, I actually <laughs> had no excuse. But I think like my experience of college was just like I felt like a bit of an outsider sometimes at social events because I didn't understand what was so cool about it, and so I really liked working and studying and reading. Um, this is making me come off as like really boring. <laughs> You're coming off however you uh, are supposed to. Okay. You can you can entertain it if you want. Okay. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, I was I was a bit more fun than that, but. Um, I think you did a good thing. I think uh, everyone listening probably wishes they did the same. I hope if you're listening out there, like, do all the reading. Yeah, do all the readings. That's it's, it's you only have one you only have one shot to do all the reading. I never thought we'd say that on this show, but here we are. <laughs> um, at that point, are you? having thoughts about making movies you know no i was i was very much in college i was studying playwriting and painting so it was kind of a toss-up of what career is going to be more difficult to pursue and both of them were so hard incredibly difficult but it was not until the final semester of my senior year where i had an advanced playwriting class with donald margulies who's amazing professor and he opened it up to the students because it was the last class and he said ask me anything like kind of like a pre-reddit ama type Mm -hmm. thing and one of the students asked how do you make a living and he said well clearly i don't make it just from playwriting because i'm teaching you guys but also i write train plays and i you know write for tv uh and that was kind of a sobering reality for everybody in the room. Um, especially me, because I I was pursuing art for like four years, but I didn't really think I was going to pursue it professionally. And then... What did you think was going to happen? I thought I would just be adjacent to it. So that's what I tried to do. Like I went out to Los Angeles and I worked in the mailroom at UTA And I thought, okay, I know what this looks like. It looks like I'm going to spend a year here, then I'm going to be an assistant at a production company, and then I'll be a development executive, and then eventually maybe I'll get to produce movies. That path made sense to me. Mm -hmm. But the path of writing things and just putting them out in the world and seeing how people would respond to them and whether they would even get made, that felt very, very daunting. And... I was not prepared to do that at 22. But you, so you did end up coming out to LA and working at UTA. Yeah, that was that was an interesting experience. See, I want to go into that. How, what happens there? So the mailroom is an incredible place. I was working in UTA's old building. They they moved that summer when I started working there, and so the mailroom is literally a mailroom, and they hire something like 20 kids like 22 year olds fresh out of school um a lot of them are like ivy league grads and wild i know it's nuts here's four years of yale and now you're doing mail and now you're doing mail for nine dollars and fifty cents an hour and you are literally 
sorting mail and delivering mail around the agency. You're also, I mean, I think that that job is like a fake job. Like they don't really need us to do that job, Mm -hmm. but it's a way for them to introduce us to Hollywood and to show us the inner workings of an agency. Like you really get to see how things are sold. And then when you get onto a desk and you're an assistant, which I was, you get to see how business is done, which I wish I didn't know so much about it. <laughs> I, I think I'm, I know, I, I, I long for the ignorance. Um, Do you remember an early uh, memory of seeing something get bought and sold? Oh my gosh, yes. I actually remember I read this pilot called Halt and Catch Fire. And it was by Christopher Christopher Cantwell and Chris Rogers. And uh, I read it and I thought, this is a show. It's so good. And I would watch it. Mm. And then it got made. <laughs> and I've watched it since. And I, I'm, I, I just knew there was something special about the quality of that script that was going to translate. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting, though, on the desk that I remember more all of the things that didn't get made. Of course. Because that number was far greater than anything that all, you know, the ones that got sold and got set up and the ones even that like got extended to series and were successful and didn't get canceled. Did you have someone there at the time mentoring you? No, it was, it was a, I mean, I think part of the job of being in the mailroom, you're supposed to make relationships and find those people and I really just didn't enjoy working at the agency, so I was very checked out. I was the person who went to the parties and had a notebook, and I was writing. What were you writing? I was just writing stuff. And I, I was always just, I was reading scripts and I was writing stuff. And nothing, nothing significant, but I felt like very out of place because so, like, your, your job in, in the mailroom, because it's not a real job, and not to insult anyone who's worked in a mailroom um, because I understand it's it's a part of the trajectory of being an agent but it's you are supposed to socialize like that's so much of it you go out to drinks and you meet people and Mm -hmm. that you know some people take it like a very seriously right going out to drinks socializing yeah and I hated it so much you just wouldn't do it. I mean, I did it a few times. Like I would, some assistants from other places would reach out to me and say, hey, you know, would be cool to meet in person. So you're like exchanging emails with somebody who has the same job as you, uh-huh. works at like... You send like hundreds of emails to each other. Yeah, and you get to like feel something for them because they ha- they, we share a same, you know, we're in, the same, we're in the same boat together. Yeah. But it's also just sad thinking about the other person on the other side and what they do when they get home and yeah, that this is also just for them a thing that they're doing to get somewhere else. Yeah. means to an end. It was very much a transitional job. I, f- I had a lot of anxiety and over it because I felt like I learned things that I didn't need to know. Well, that's going to ask you leaving that and transitioning out. What is something you took away from that job? A sort of understanding or lesson about the industry that you didn't have going into it. I think I was a lot more hopeful about how projects got made 
and then being part being inside of the agency i recognize that there are a lot of reasons that projects don't get set up or made that have nothing to do with the quality of the writing or the you know how important the story is there are so many other factors outside of the control of the artist mm. and all you know i can do as an artist is to like put forth the best story possible there's so much that's out you know outside of my control um but being inside of the agency knowing that it changes it changes things for sure um there was i mean i'm still hopeful <laughs> like right. i'm still hopeful and i'm so grateful to be here at sundance but i think uh at the time i was feeling very demoralized about the state of the industry and how are beautiful things going to get made well so you felt demoralized and yet you leave and you find that you have to make movies is that is that what happens right i mean it was complicated because i was leaving because i for several reasons one of which was that i had learned that my father was not well in chicago so you know i i was not liking the job there i had taken a whole lot of risks to go out to los angeles and start this job that was paying me so little that I mean it was hardly enough to survive on. I mean it's a wonder you that ma- I you did it for a year, and I think your salary p- probably paid for one class at Yale. I mean, yeah, except Yale was free for me, so okay. I had no concept of what anything cost, and it was it was a harsh, rude awakening uh, to be working that job because you know I w- was very sheltered growing up, and. Then hearing this news about my dad, I knew that things were not working out in Los Angeles and I had to go home. And so I went home and it was a a few months later, my dad passed away and that was really hard. That was in 2013. Um, it came very suddenly, um, even though he'd been not well for many, many years, but it came very suddenly. And I think it was as if the center had fallen out, you know, and my family was like without, there was no gravity. Like everybody was just like drifting off into different corners of the house and just failing, you know, that just, just like failing to recognize that what the world was moving on without us. And that was like maybe the darkest time mm-hmm. in 2013. <laughs> Did you get to have time with him before he passed? I had a little bit of time with him, but he entered the hospital and it was, seven, you know, it took 17 days, but then he passed away. And that felt, those 17 days felt very long right. at the time because I was in and out of the hospital. And it was, uh, it was a very, um, it felt like I was in a time warp, you know, where I think hospitals can do that too. Where you Always. Go, you go in and you think, uh, this is just like any other place, but then you like walk outside and it's like dark and yeah. you don't know where the time went. It's a very disorienting place. Yeah. Time stops. And you wish it could end. Yeah. As quickly as possible. Yeah. I wish, I wished every day that it would be over. And then uh, after he passed away, I was in living with my family in Chicago and everyone was a mess. I mean, for my mom, especially, she was totally anchorless because she had moved to this country because of my dad and she didn't speak didn't speak the language she doesn't speak english uh proficiently she understands a little bit but i mean she depended so much on him she'd built her whole life around him and without him i think she had to figure out what her, 
you know, what is she going to do and who is she going to be? Um, especially as I was already away in college and I was going to, I mean, I had already spent four years away and, mm -hmm. you know, my sib, I have an older sister and a younger brother and a brother who's going to be going to college himself. So I think, but I think isn't the same true for you is that sh she had to rediscover who she was, you know, with her own new autonomy, but then you also have to figure out what you were going to do and who you were going to be. Yeah. I mean, after, I think the part of, I mean, I think my dad was like the glue in my family, but I also think that his presence made a lot of the tension kind of just like you swept it away under the rug, but it was still there. And so when he was gone, what all you, of it was coming out. What do you mean by out. that? In that my family has incredible, there's so much tension and so much resentment that was building up between us that we were just hiding under a rug. And then because of my dad, because he was just so diplomatic and just, you know, just charming and brought us all together. And so there would be fights, but they would be resolved. Because he made it a point to resolve them. Yeah, he would say things like, look, this is your family. You've got to live with them for the rest of your life and just got to make peace with your brother, your sister, or your mom, and, you know, understand that they're human beings and they get hurt. But then he went away, you know, and when he passed, it was like, now we actually have to deal with what those resentments are. Hmm. Like, they don't just go away, and right. now we have to, like, figure it out. We went to family therapy together for the first time that summer. That was insane. Because uh, I'm sure a lot was being aired out that was previously... Oh, yeah. Everyone <laughs> brought to the table. I think the worst... The worst... Uh, the worst idea that my sister had was that we should all get in a car and drive there together because then we would have to spend the whole ride back brutal and we were stuck in traffic brutal so we set all this stuff in therapy and then we had to deal with each other immediately afterward <laughs> it was so it was it was like a comedy in there yeah because our our psychologist she was she was great she's lovely um i don't think she was ready my family what did you personally have to sort out I had to sort out a couple of things with various family members but one of them the most significant of which and everyone has you know my family my each of my family members would say differently about what that resentment was but what I felt was a deep resentment for having left the home at 18 having lived life outside of the house and not feeling like I had to return in any timely fashion, that I was also planning to go back to Los Angeles. And I think they were not happy about that. For, they wanted you to stay. Yeah, and I did stay for a long time. I thought I was going to be there for a summer. I got a job at GameStop. And then... Shout out to GameStop. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Shout, it's a great place. It's it's wonderful it really was that job in the summer that it was that mindless job that really helped me get through some of this dark stuff because you can't be thinking about you, you know your father's death every day you know 24 hours a day you have to do other things that have nothing to do with that mm -hmm. and uh so i i thought i was going to spend just a summer with my family to help them through this but I, it, I stayed there like two years 
So really, yeah, I was, I, like I said, like time was moving very, very fast, you know, outside, but inside of my home, all these things about, you know, my family was unraveling. Um, Are you writing during this time? Yeah. This, this time, this entire time. And that's also another point of resentment was that I was uh, at home working on, like trying to work on projects and trying to, you know, I was working on like the little vignettes that would later become the script for Hala. They were very, very early stages, but I think they didn't understand what I was doing. I, I literally think they would, they thought I was just surfing the internet for like six hours a day. Mm. When in reality, I was trying to write. Yeah. So I actually had to st- stop working from home and I would walk to the Starbucks that was, you know, walking distance from my house and I would set up shop there and then I would come home in the evening and there was resentment about the fact that I was gone all day. Um, but also because I had nothing to show for all the time that I was, you know, working. The, the way you describe that, the, the, the way you brush that off, it seems like there's something more there though. Um, about the fact that I would come home from... Well, not just that, but it seems like this ongoing pattern of you wanting to do your thing. Right. You doing your thing because you're strong-willed and hardworking. Yeah. And then after having done that thing, coming back to the family that's like, why did you do that thing again? Yeah. I mean, I think for my... It's different for each of my family members. For my mom, it's truly she wanted me to spend more time with her. So it really was coming from a genuine place. I think for my siblings, it was a feeling of... I didn't get to do that. And so, you know, which we're still working out. But I think they, <laughs> I think it was strange because for my sister, the obligations were very different because she's the oldest. And so she was much more willing to do sort of, and my parents set out a path for her. And, you know, that she was, I don't know that she was unhappy with doing those things, but I think that she didn't really think too much at 18 or, you know, 19 that this is, you know, I'm, significant choices are being made for me and then when it came to me I was just very unapologetic about it like I was going to go to Yale like I I was starting to save up money and like planning an escape route if my dad wasn't going to help me it was a very uh I knew that I was going to get there Mm -hmm. if I had to go by like bus or like walk there I was going to get there and for my you know at, at that time when I was working at Starbucks and coming home I think they felt like you think that you're better than us, that you have this thing, this special thing of like making stuff that is, uh, did you, I think I felt very, um, I have mixed feelings about like what, how I felt about my family because they were going through a really hard time. And so I was, I needed to be softer with them and like gentler about my ambitions because I was grieving just as much as they were but I dealt with it with work. And I don't think they saw it that way. I think they saw it as that I wasn't grieving. And that time that I was spending writing was a way of like remembering my dad. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know that because they didn't, they didn't read those things. Um, but did you share it with them? No, I was scared to. And you know, since you were at the premiere that I was so scared to that I've waited this long to even tell them I couldn't about believe it. That, that that happened was that you got to explain the story because we also we only have 10 more minutes okay so <laughs> we were skipping ahead but you're okay. fi- so I'll set it up the best I can okay uh, a lot of movies apply uh, for Sundance most of them do not get in 
yours does. It's playing at this beautiful theater called the Library. And every film has these sort of introductions that are really boring. And you gave a very heartfelt one. And then afterward, there's a Q&A, which are also often boring. <laughs> and I know because I've done them hundreds of times. And um, you go up and then you do something pretty special. So I, I didn't tell my mom about the movie. And my family... I think my sister didn't know about it until like a week or so ago when I told her about it, but she didn't tell my mother. Um, you know, I wrote the script, directed the film in Chicago in the same neighborhood I grew up in, in my old high school that was five minutes away from where I grew up and where my family still lives. And I was planning on telling my mom about it, but I kept putting it off because I was worried about how it would affect the story. And I didn't want to think about that. I wanted to just tell the story, make the best story possible. And I, I really didn't want to worry about how she, you know, whether it was going to be okay with her, which I know sounds very selfish, actually, as I say this. Um, but it really, it was more like, I need to do justice by the story and be, you know, what is true to this character. And if I was thinking too much about that, I would, it wouldn't be true to that story. Um, but then I think eventually when we found out about Sundance, it started to hit me that maybe she would find out in some way, mm -hmm. but she has, you know, she didn't, she had no idea. Right. And it's, it's easy to do that when your mom doesn't use a smartphone or use the internet. Um, and she doesn't search my name. That, I mean, that's just not, that's not a thing she does. Right. So all of this was done in secret from her until the premiere uh, when I told my sister like the night before I said I, I texted my sister and I said hey I'm gonna, I want to tell mom about the movie and she's like okay do you want me to say anything and she's like no, no I want to do it I'm going to call you at this time um, after the movie is shown and I'll show her what we're doing so my sister said great I'll have her ready and then We'll just FaceTime. So it was my sister's phone that I was calling, and mm -hmm. it, was, it was my mom who was sitting there. Um, so I get up there after the Q&A, and I start to think about not doing it because I was kind of scared again. Of course. <laughs> I was really scared, um, not to mention that I was also worried that I was going to make a big deal of calling her, and then she might not answer, which was another Right. Another I thought thing. about that. I was like, wait, what if she doesn't answer here? That would be terrible. It would have been a real bummer. It would have been... That, that would have been a really sad story. <laughs> yeah, you, get a, you would have had to make a joke about, like, I guess she doesn't like me or something. Yeah. It, that's, um, it would and have this, been dark. Yeah, and this is definitely uh, shows the state of our relationship right now. <laughs> um, but I called her, and then all I said was, in Urdu, what I said was, uh, I made a movie, and all these people have come here to see it. And then I showed her the crowd, and everyone waved. And then she, like, looked at me, and then she said... So when are you coming home? And then that's why I was like flustered about, okay, well, I'm going to be home after I'm done with BoJack for a few weeks. And then I'm going to go back to Chicago and spend time with you. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't, I didn't want to get into it. Well, no, I mean, you also had like 200 people waiting to yeah, hear you talk. Yeah. So I, I was very flustered by that, but also what a classic. Yeah. That is so my mom. Of course. I mean, if that's, if that's the response she was going to give. 
Yeah, I expected that or she her saying like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Like, what are you doing here?" Like <clears throat> there's something interesting that's happened uh, in your life that I didn't know until we had this talk. Right. Which is at two very uh, pivotal junctures. First, going to college. Second, making this movie and then putting it out into the world. Right. You did a similar thing in terms of how you decided to tell your mother about it. I know. So yeah. maybe I've not grown at all. Well, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> As your friend, I'm not saying that. I'm just wondering, do you think it is at all possible that you have not allowed her to potentially rise to the occasion and surprise you? Um, actually, she did rise to the occasion because she visited me to, she visited me in LA. And so that was, I um, invited her over to my home and she got to meet my partner. And that was something I could never have imagined even thinking of asking her to do. Because I really think there is this complicated relationship that I have with my family, but also that a lot of first generation um, children of immigrants, but also like, you know, Muslim Americans have with their parents. It's like where you have to ask yourself, are you telling them because of you or are you telling them for them? So I hid a lot because I wanted to spare my mom, you know, the disappointment that I was not ending up the model, you know, the model daughter that she wanted. And I felt like it would be easier for her to believe the lie that I was mostly that person. And then in the process of making this movie and then recognizing that I only have so many years with my mom left and I want them to be honest and I don't want to be a liar for the rest of my life. Um, she came out to LA and I invited her over because it was also for her in the sense that I wanted her to, wanted to let her in on my life hmm. and not compartmentalize these parts, which I've done for so long. And at a certain point it is exhausting for me personally, but it wasn't the sole reason why I did it. It was more, you know, I want my mom to feel like I'm doing okay and I'm mostly a good person still. Um, and so she came over and she had dinner uh, with my partner and she was great. It was great. It was drama free. How does she feel about uh, you now? I think she's really wants me to come back home and spend some time with her because I've been in, uh, I've been away for so long working on stuff. Um, and I, I want to spend more time with her too because I think about the time that I didn't get to spend with, with my dad. And um, I feel now that our relationship at least is that she knows that there's other things going on in my life that if she asked me those questions, I would no longer feel the need to lie about them because it's also we're at a stage and she's very much mellowed out. Um, you know, she, I think she's also like entering an older age where she sees that her kids are adults now and we're not going to, you know, the time of like trying to shape us into what she wanted is kind of gone. Right. Cause I mean, you are, who you are. Yeah. I'm, I am who I am. And I'm, and I think she's, she still very much loves me and why she misses me so much. And when she left, she came here and she said, she's broke my heart. She said, she said something like to the effect of like Minhal time is passing. And we were at, we were having dinner at like home in, 
in Sil- you know, in Silver Lake, and we were having dinner, and it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. She just said, "Minhall time is passing, and we, you know, I'm, I see it, I see where it's going and ending, and uh, it just it wrecked me, like, cause I, I haven't, I haven't heard her say something like that, and for any at all, like ever." Um, and I think that's why she was just so happy to be there. Like, happy to be at my house and see what my life in L.A. was like. Hmm. You're letting her in now. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was nuts. And my sister turned to me and she's like, that is so weird. Mom never talks like that. She's never said anything like that. And and she's like, she was, she. my sister said my mom had harassed her for months saying we need to go visit her. And I think there was this urgency of like, she feels like her time on this earth is limited and, you know, we can't erase the past and we're not going to, you know, there's still things that, you know, we both know happened that were really hurt, you know, how we hurt each other. And, but we're at a stage now where it's like, it's, it's okay. And we can still like enjoy each other and have this much better relationship now. I know you said earlier that perhaps you thought you didn't grow. <laughs> this sounds like growth to me. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, we have to go, so I'm going to ask one thing okay. before we dip. Um, on the point of time passing. Yeah. It's happening to all of us all the time. Yeah. And I want to know for you, since we are on microphone, I know the answer, but I want to want to have it as sort of a time capsule for okay. you right now because this is your movie. It is here at this festival. It's a great moment for you. And it's like the thing you've been working towards for so long. Are you happy with it? Wow, that's a that's a deep <laughs> question right now. You know what this show is. Yeah. You listen to it before shooting a bunch of things. I know, I know. I. Which we should also say thank you to uh, Carolina for that. Thank you, Carolina Costa, for introducing me to Sam Fragoso. Um, I... Uh, I think I was very uncertain about how I would feel, but then after the premiere, because I'd watched the movie with everyone in the audience, I was moved and very, I was having an out of body experience, very surreal experience, which I've always read about people having. And I think I thought they were always lying. Like I thought like, no, (laughs) that can't be real. (coughs) And then I went up there and I did, I was shaking because I realized that the story that was so personal and familiar to me was being shared with an audience of people and now they've like let them in too Mm -hmm. and strangers strangers into my life and that's a lot um but i think from the reception which was so wonderful i was very encouraged and i think that is happiness i mean i was it was so much at once and i really felt like grateful to be on earth in that moment um, with that audience up there with the movie, which I grew up with that movie. Like, I can't even imagine what the last four years of my life would look like without Hala. And so to share with all those people and to have them have the reaction they did that was so supportive, it felt like it was, it was like a warm embrace after like a long, long journey. It felt good. Now you're on the other side. Yeah, I want to be on the pail now. <laughs> um, Who knows what's going to happen next? 
lots of things. Okay, I uh, hope so. Menhal, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Thank you so much. This I, was good. Yeah. Special thanks this week to Shipra Gupta, Carolina Costa, and the Sundance Film Festival. Manhal's film, Hala, will be available through Apple sometime this year, but for right now you can watch the short film version of it on her website at www.manhalbeg.com. For some of her more um, streamlined thoughts, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at her name, Minhal, M-I-N-H-A-L, Beg, B-A-I-G. To learn more about our show, you can do so at our website at talkeasypod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, some guest booking by Ian Chang, our new social media coordinator, Crystal Farmer, our intern, Elliot Weintraub, and the show is produced by the inimitable Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy, and uh, we are glad to be back. See you next Sunday. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.